coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. If you tell a male athlete that we know from a scientific perspective that men who sleep on a routinely basis five hours or less per more will have smaller testicles and thereby smaller testosterone production than someone sleeping five hours or more per night, you suddenly have an argument. Nobody wants small balls, but an athlete also doesn't want really to have a low testosterone production because that also means low recovery ability. Big thank you for joining us today. We've got a great guest coming up for you very soon. It's Anna West. But first, big thanks to the overarching sponsor of the show, Hawora. It's a performance well-being growth partner that looks to impact on individual and organizational health and well-being through four key pillars, physical, mental, social, and occupational. So do make sure to check it out at haworalife.com, H-A-U-O-R-A, life.com Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with Anna West, sleep and recovery specialist at Sleep to Perform and Brentford FC. Anna is a Danish healthcare professional who specializes in sleep, recovery and well-being. Her company, Sleep to Perform, is a scientifically grounded consultancy that aims to create projects to positively change behavior and unlock peak performance. Anna works with leading sports teams and businesses across Europe, helping individuals and groups to peak by understanding their sleep patterns, its correlation to circadian rhythm, stress levels, lifestyle choices, and ultimately help them become better sleepers. Her learning framework moves beyond a quick fix, providing practical tools and strategies to create sustainable high performance. She believes that you need an academic approach to measure, analyze, and make healthy recommendations, but you need a pragmatic and innovative approach to transform knowledge into habits that generate long-lasting results. Today we speak about the differences between Switzerland and Denmark. We explore why sleep was her path to specialize in, how the morning sets us up for optimum sleep. Anna unpacks wind downs after late games, discusses monitoring sleep with tech and the challenges and opportunities with that. We ask about anxiety with sleep latency, what to do if you can't settle in bed. This chat is for parents of young children, elite athletes trying to understand more about sleep and gain a competitive edge, and everyone in between. Anna West, thanks very much for joining the two of us today to have a lovely conversation. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you very much for inviting me. I feel a, a great pleasure about having a discussion with both of you. Thanks, Anna. And where are you calling in from? We know there's a bit of snow on its way. <laughs> well, originally I'm actually Danish. So saying that you're living in the mountains sounds slightly strange, especially if you're Danish, but I, I'm, um, I'm located in Switzerland. And what brought you to Switzerland? Oof, that's a good question. Um, the opportunity, to be fair. Um, I think if, uh, if you viewed the roadmap of my family and so forth, I think it's quite classic that we, out of the blue, ended up in Switzerland just after settling down, buying a house, and at least trying to signal that we had become very adult. And then two months after we finished renovating a house in Denmark, my husband at that time um, was offered a job in Switzerland and me being quite independent of of work location, uh, we didn't blink twice and then we moved to Switzerland thinking that we would stay for 
two years and now we're into year five. Culturally, what do you see as the big differences between your, your home and now your adopted home? I actually think that there is a there are a lot of similarities. Denmark is a very small country um, with a population of, I don't know, 6 million people. Switzerland is 8.5 million people. Nobody outside of Denmark, outside of Switzerland, understands your language. So in that sense, we are small nations. Culturally, Switzerland is quite conservative. Denmark, at least in the part where I grew up, was uh, very non-conservative. You have a lot of beautiful nature in both places. I think you can find things to love in both places, but you also learn, need to learn to love things about the, the, the two places. So Switzerland is very formal. Being a Scandinavian person is usually, at least in my perception, perceived as being quite informal. Being formal is not always bad. And to be fair, I spend maybe 80%, 90% of my time in elite sports and and that's pretty informal. So when you're in the normal society, that's where I think I see the biggest differences. And you mentioned that you're quite independent geographically where you work, sleeptoform.com. Where did it all start for you? When were you first able to start working for yourself in this capacity? So I, um, I have a background in sports science and I'm a medical nurse as well. And more or less straight out of university, I was um, by coincidence or luck or whatever you would call it, fortunate to, to get a job in a medical technical company that was specialized in sleep. I always had a high, high interest in sleep. I became a mom when I was very, very young in the first year of university had a very high ambition about what I wanted to do from a from a work educational perspective with a baby on my arm and I quite quickly learned that sleep was my weapon uh, in order to succeed started working in this in a sense quite old-fashioned medical technical company specialized in sleep sleep diagnostics sleep treatment sleep research and was um, fortunate to come in and and built up our sports science department, bridging the gap between sleep science and and sports science. And then back in 2015, got the opportunity to move to Switzerland and maybe switch path in the sense that I continued doing the consultancy part, which I absolutely love, um, but also giving myself the opportunity to make myself completely independent of mythology um, the commercial side so today I work as an independent consultant in my own consultancy I'm a huge fan of technologies but I'm also a huge fan of being able to create and drive projects with my clients and customers that are tailored to them more than me tailoring projects according to the technology field that I was in before and for people that are stressed or have had their lifestyle shifted for that big thing that's happened to us all in the last two years, or for me selfishly as a dad with two young kids where sleep is, uh, is, um, is a rare thing, what, what are the principles you look at? Because I'm sure sleep is very much affected by a multitude of factors like the three I just mentioned. When I work with people like yourself, or even when I'm applying my own medicine towards myself or whatever you would call it, I think it's always extremely important to look at the framework that you are trying to optimize sleep in. So if you, as you are in your situation with a small child, um, have a certain framework, I think it's very important to, to look at, at 
what is your capacity where is your ability where can you actually get the sleep and how within that framework can you do stuff around yourself that will support that the quality goes up and then of course always looking at sleeping hours as well but let's say you're a fighter pilot and you have to go into battle um, me being a sleep scientist preaching eight nine hours of sleep per night is not really going to change anything in in your life you being a dad with a small child having you know the world health organization's numbers ringing in your ears with seven to nine hours of sleep consistently per night can be a stress factor as well so if your framework is that you in a period of time can only get a certain amount of hours of sleep per night i very much work towards optimizing the quality of the hours that you're actually able to get and if I was then going to support and optimize in your framework, I would look very much at your lifestyle habits um, and everything leading towards how you're actually sleeping. Most people think that I work very much with what happens during the night. But in theory, I work with everything that you do during the day, which will then ultimately result in high quality sleep at night. And you mentioned elite sports and those environments at the moment when you're working in them, does the practice and the tools that you provide to them individuals differ a lot to people who have a nine to five job and who maybe have sport on the side? I mean, in all fairness, we all have the same biology, the, the same need and the same physiology. But again, the framework can be very different and the, the framework differs very much from sport to sport as well. So if you're a football player in, let's say, Premier League, you have a lot of night games. It's usually quite different than if you are an individual athlete competing in a completely different environment. And, and you need to take that framework into consideration when you are trying to optimize. What I also take into consideration is very much the profile that I'm working with, looking more into the psychological aspect of who I'm working with, how they're dealing with pressure and so forth, because... When I'm working with sleep in athletic environments, it's a little bit different in in comparisons to working with people who would be a part of the normal population because I'm working with very often young, very well-trained people who very, very rarely would have any sleep condition that is physiological. Whereas in the normal population, I would meet a lot more people with um, obstructive sleep, apnea, etc., which would be completely different, but also would have a different demand when it comes to creating a better sleep pattern, sleep output. And again, when I apply mythology strategies around the athletes, it needs to regard who they are, how they're training, when they're competing, and so forth. And then again, good sleep starts when they wake up in the morning. So it needs to be combined with nutritional factors, hydrational factors, mental factors, and so forth. It kind of builds into the question I have for Yana. We've, we've touched on technology and yes. obviously the measurement and quantification as to the quality of sleep has, has really um, moved on a lot in the last couple of years. I mean, we're both here one of us is wearing a whoop. One of us is wearing an aura ring. So, we, <laughs> And I'm sitting with both here, an aura <laughs> ring on my finger and a whoop on my wrist. So, um, We'd like to understand a little bit about that, even from our perspective, that first thing we do in the morning is probably look and say, how much deep sleep did I get? What was the REM look like? Oh, God, was I tossing and turning? What's When did I wake up? How much does that play into our heads then psychologically? 
I love the question and I think we could, you know, create a full podcast about this subject because the way that I usually try to word it is that technology is a support, it's not a solution. And in a lot of the athletic environments, it's actually applied the opposite way. Just by, you know, buying a whoop or an aura ring, a lot of environments believe that they're optimizing sleep because they create a tension around the subject. But quite often, what at least I see and based on experience, wearing the technologies can also push quite a lot of pressured sleep anxiety problems because they know they all know that sleep is important most athletes today they will know that sleep is a precondition for recovery and thereby performance so it's an embedded factor in performance optimization where the challenge is if they see bad sleep data and they can't change it so i'm a big fan of technology but it needs an ability and education in order to translate the data correctly and once they learn and they are educated you as a personal, private person as well, then you can kind of translate and navigate your data around. But but if you only see negative data and you don't really know how to redirect that data set, it can actually lead to you having even worse sleep. So there's a big mental factor in seeing your own sleep data. And then there's always the debate about accuracy. I usually preach technology in the sense that I see for many athletes that it can be a quite big motivational factor. For some athletes, I decide not to apply it, not to implement it, because I can see that by wearing the technology, the pressure around sleep actually rises. So sometimes you need to think quite smart when we're talking about technology. I recently did a did a project where, let's not name the technology, but where a technology was, was implemented with, with a good intention Um, and I was onboarded into the project a couple of months after the technology was was implemented and in 60% of the cases the technology was just laying in a drawer because athletes had taken it off again because they didn't like what they saw so if you don't implement it with strategies around how to actually navigate the data around if you're sleeping good, how can you actually use that sleep data to you know, optimize your performance even further and so forth? It doesn't really create that big of an impact or it creates a negative impact. And Anna, over the last few years, we've seen probably an influx of this technology into elite sports. We've seen Whoop sponsor the PGA. We've seen Aura sponsor the NBA. Have you, from your experience, have you noticed a large influx of the equipment and how are the players adapting to it is it something they find useful generally or is it sort of individualist um i think to to a high level it has a positive influence because it creates a lot of awareness around the connection uh, between recovery ability and performance ability and i think you sitting there behind the screen in a discussion would agree that that recovery is a precondition for for your ability to create sustainable high performance going back 10-15 years the mythology was a little bit different it was very much load orientated the more we trained the more we had the idea that we could optimize performance that is definitely changing and by applying technology that is aiming to increase the awareness about the need of recovery and sleep we of course see a positive impact that being said it again sometimes leads to athletes seeing that they're actually not doing very well in this arena. And if they don't have 
strategies in place on how they can then change the data that they see, it can actually push the recovery and the sleep data to become even worse. It's a little bit like preaching, you know, healthy nutrition, but the players and the athletes not knowing what to eat or how to actually create a nutritional plan. Or in theory saying that, you know, high and and healthy nutrition is, is important, but then you don't really present and give the athletes the right food in the canteen. That's a great comparison. Yeah, that's brilliant. You touched on, you know, English Premier League fixtures that could be in the evening. And, you know, you have experience of working with the bees who are now in the Premiership. In terms of finishing a match in those elitist environments, NBA, NHL, Major League Baseball, football, you name it, a lot of them can be quite late when they finish and then wind down. These athletes are all really high in into education awareness. They know sleep is paramount for recovery, as you've already stressed to us, for these sustained high performance. What's the best thing for athletes, professional, amateur, even people that might just have something late in the evening to do to set themselves up so that there's not a lag, you know, for a couple of days later? I think the best advice I can give is not to focus on that one night after a late night game where you quite often and quite naturally will find it very difficult to fall asleep. Like everything done during a late night match would work against normal sleep physiology. So the best advice given is actually sometimes to embrace that we will have poor sleep after a late night game rather than trying to force and struggle towards creating this um, myth that we will have super good sleep after a late night game. My my way of working is, is quite opposite in the sense that I always preach to have as many days as possible, being consistent and good. And by doing so, your body will also tolerate the one-offs, which is quite natural after a late night game. I'm I'm not striving for extreme perfectionism when it comes to sleep because the world and the framework that athletes today are, let's say, optimizing sleep in does not really regard perfectionism or it doesn't really allow perfectionism when it comes to sleep. A lot of people in my field, in the sleep science field, they're preaching. I mean, even if you go on Google and the first advice that would come up would be, you know, sleep consistency. And then you're an athlete and already there you're failing because consistency is just extremely difficult. It's the same if you're a shift worker, if you're a businessman traveling across time zones, etc. Sometimes we just can't create that consistency. But if we know that that is the case, what we need to do is then to do smart things before we go to bed, which is not pushing sleep to become even worse. So an example would be having strategies in place that, that you know will support sleep quality, not to be optimal, but to optimize the sleep quality. And touching on building off that late night, and sometimes players would have a post-recovery meal. They'd also yeah. have people who would come home from work late, from shift work, and they'd eat before they go to bed. Is that detrimental <laughs> to the sleep overall? Oh, it's a... It's a little bit of a bee's nest subject, right? Because in, in the athletic it's field, you, <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a very good subject. Um, and I completely understand where the question is coming from. Look, I very often discuss it with our you know, nutritional side, because if you have, let's say, a football player and it's match day minus one, you want to load carbs. And we can both uh, agree that if you look into the scientific side and so forth, you know, carb loading might not be the most optimal when it comes to sleep. But then there's a little bit of the debate about the hen and the egg, what comes first. I think 
good sleep does not come from the, let's call it late night snack. A lot of people are also discussing the factor of eating the right things before they go to sleep because that single nutritional factor will optimize the sleep. That's not my mythology. I usually say create a balanced nutrition throughout the day. Make sure that the blood sugar levels are not spiking throughout the day, creating stress levels and the high um, deployment of cortisol and so forth. Because that balanced nutrition will lead to optimized sleep. So if you're very focused on what to eat before you go to bed, but you forget the rest of the day, the impact of what you're eating just before you go to bed will not have the impact that you're looking for. Does that make sense? Yeah, my friend will be very happy that question was answered now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, if you look into the scientific side of things, it's it's not black and white. And and in all fairness, the, the level of research that, that we've seen until now on nutrition and, and sleep is pointing in a lot of different directions. So there's no straightforward answer because it also depends on what athlete you're loading on. And now having touched on evening, nighttime, we're very much getting an understanding that it's about what you do in the day that sets you up to have a consistent pattern that will help you perform well in whatever space that is. So what, what should we do when we wake up? What we shouldn't do is to lay around in bed and, and snooze and so forth. When the body is waking up, it's very important for us to actually accept the fact that the daytime has arrived and that we need to get up. What I always try to recommend is to use common sense and remember that we are, in a sense, still working as cavemen. So back in the days where we were you know, living in cages, we would, we would come out of the cave when the sun was rising and the temperature was rising and things would usually go in a slow pace. Today, we, at least a lot of people would go on their iPhone and have a tsunami of information you know, placed right into their brain and their head straight from, from the minute that we wake up. I always recommend people to kind of create a slow way of waking up but also to allow the body to actually rise up in the sense that not doing it too slow so that the system is actually not accepting the fact that we have to, to wake up. I recommend always to take a cold shower in the morning because that pushes the pulse level up. The opposite, taking a, a, a warm shower in the evening, which can also bring the temperature inside the core of your body down so that you're kind of signaling to the body that now it's time to get up. What I also talk a lot with my athletes about is the fact that the body needs time to adapt from a, from a temperature perspective. So if they know that they have an early morning training session, waking up 10 minutes before you actually have that training session is actually not optimal. You need to allow the body to have a, a period of time to adapt to the fact that you have to go and take on load. That's fantastic. So Keep going with the cold immersion. Keep doing the Wim Hof breathing and ice showers, <laughs> which which is very difficult, but persevering. It's super, di super difficult, but very effective. How important is it in terms of reducing down these actions? And like, we can't always say we'll have the cold shower. How do you get someone to buy in to create a habit around that action? I can ask you, what would it require for you to buy into a habit? Oh, if it's a cold shower, <laughs> an awful <laughs> lot of persuasion, I think there. I have been trying to do it, but it's very difficult to keep it consistent. I suppose that's where education is important, right? Exactly. It, and that's a little bit my point. You need to educate, but you also need to build in some ammunition, some good arguments around why you should actually do it. 
usually I say, and this is a slightly sidetracking the subject, but if you tell a male athlete that we know from a scientific perspective that men who sleep on a routinely basis five hours or less per more will have smaller testicles and thereby smaller testosterone production than someone sleeping five hours or more per night, you suddenly have an argument. Nobody wants small balls, but an athlete also doesn't want really to have you know, a low testosterone production because that also means low recovery ability, right? So suddenly it becomes a competitive edge if they know why. Well, if they know how, but also why to do it. So you need to build in this, you know, knowledge about why it's important to do it, how they do it, but also some, you know, crucial motivational factors that can actually push push them to do it. Every male listener will be getting more than five hours sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah, it, it works, usually it works pretty well when I'm speaking to the male athlete. Though. <laughs> there you go. You're welcome. Building on the elite environment and even recreational athletes, we see a lot of an explosion almost in the market for supplements, for sleep supplements. Yeah. Is there one that you would recommend or do you routinely use it in your practice? No, I don't want to recommend anything because in theory, I don't believe in this one size fits all model. And our respond to different supplements can be quite different. In theory, I don't believe in supplements, but I believe in general lifestyle habits. What I don't like about supplements is the is the fact that if if you believe that the supplement alone is going to create a high sleep outcome, you're already misleading yourself. And a good example could be you decide that you want to take a supplement, but you're not hydrating well enough during the day. You will not get the benefit from that supplement. It's a little bit like the question about whether or not an elite sports person should buy a very expensive mattress, and I get it all the time. Like, what mattress should I buy? And I always reverse it and I say, teach yourself to fall asleep, and then we can talk about buying the mattress. Because you can buy a super expensive mattress, but if you're unable to fall asleep when you place yourself on that mattress, you will not get the return on the investment. And I'm not super popular among the commercial side of things when I say this but this is this is I always I always pull out the example of working with fighter pilots if I was preaching and teaching a fighter pilot that that his sleep hygienic factor should be related back to him sleeping in a million dollar bed I would do a really poor job at the same time I have to say once you've kind of educated athletes to have the right mythology around how they can optimize sleep, they can really get a high return on investment when they then buy a, a super good mattress. Subtracting innovation, tech, supplements, all that fancy stuff, but really getting down to the fundamentals. A huge issue for a lot of people surely is sleep latency. Like they're, yes. they're lying there at night and maybe they're reflecting on something that didn't go so well or they're stressing about their big interview or presentation tomorrow and or the big game and they're just 38 minutes later they're looking at the clock they get up they just get more stressed and they don't sleep for for until two in the morning what can we do what can we help to get to sleep a little bit quicker with the fear of sounding like everyone else working in the field that the fact of unwinding before you go to bed is extremely important. But the fact about being able to get your arousal levels down more times during the, the day is actually very effectful as well. So if you are 
someone struggling with what you call sleep latency, the inability to fall asleep when you actually want to fall asleep. The way that we need to create strategies is not only what we do before we get to the point where we want to go to bed, but actually how we remove stress in the body during the day. What I work with quite a lot with my athletes and corporate people in general would actually be breathing exercises. And it sounds maybe a little bit strange that breathing earlier in the day can actually affect how I will fall asleep at night. If we have a high stress level consistently throughout the day, the level of stress hormone is going to be high in the evening. And if that stress level is very high, we will produce less melatonin, which is the the hormone that makes us fall asleep. So we kind of want to level that before we go to bed earlier than actually in the process of going to bed. And then, of course, unwinding before going to bed. I usually like compare it with talking with someone who has a small child here and you wouldn't put heavy metal into the ears of your child just before you would put that child into his crib. Right. That's a little bit the way that you need to view your brain and and your body that we need to kind of calmly unwind in the in the sense that the body wants to have an ability to put a full stop to the day before we actually go into the bed. What a lot of people do is that they they pace themselves with, you know, 200 kilometers per hour just until the point where they go to bed. And then they expect that everything in the body will just respond and then fall asleep. And this is not at all how we are built. Then for people who wake up in the middle of the night, maybe be it from a, a child they have to attend to or from stress levels that they're thinking about something the next day and they can't quite fall back to sleep. Is that a product or a circumstance of the day they've had before? Or is there something you can do in that moment to help get back to sleep? I mean, it will be quite often a product of what happened the day before. What we know is that people with a quite high stress level Either they will find it difficult to fall asleep or to stay asleep or both. What we quite often see with with stress-related awakenings is that they will kind of tend to happen early morning. If you have a child and stress-related sleep, what you need to do is, of course, to support yourself in the sense that if a child wakes up or if you have to go to the bathroom at night, make sure that you don't turn on bright light because that awakes the brain. If you wake up in the middle of the night and you can't fall asleep, journaling is always a good thing to do in order to create a sense of calmness in your brain so that you put the the thoughts that you have onto paper and then you put it away. We know for a fact that people who, or research at least, demonstrates that people who write down their thoughts or brainstorm before they go to bed can reduce sleep latency with around 50% based on experience and being a to-the-bone practitioner. A lot of people think that, okay, I I do journaling one or two times and it doesn't really work and then I stop doing it. If you want to have an effect about journaling, you need to create, again, habits where you continue to do it over a longer period of time so that the brain starts to recognize the pattern and then it will work. But if you just journal one or two times, it's, it's not really very effectful. Well, there's so much in this, and uh, you're, you've, edu- you've you've educated us an awful lot, and and we know that sleep is important. What what's next for you? What what are you working on at the moment? You've you've got so many interesting projects ongoing, I'm sure. Well, I'm working on quite a lot of different projects, and I'm definitely expanding my 
sports horizon in the sense that I'm so lucky at the moment that I get to explore working in sports where I've never been before, uh, which is also a steep learning curve for me in, in some senses. I mean, we all need sleep independent of sport, but sports environments can be extremely different and culture in the different sport environments can can have a high impact on the, on the sleep outcome as well. So I'm working in, in some new sports, which is for me extremely interesting. Um, I'm working on some research projects as well, which is extremely interesting, always bridging the gap between science and, and real life. And um, then I'm trying to remember to apply uh, around myself what I'm preaching towards other people when I'm traveling around. You've impacted so many people, I'm sure, so many athletes, so many individuals. Has there been one favorite moment that you've experienced over the years, be that a piece of feedback or be that an achievement that made, really made you reflect and be grateful for the path you've chosen? I'm grateful every day about the path that I'm... I think it's extremely important to say that now it sounds like you're putting me on this sleep pedestal where I definitely do not belong because a lot of the... Yeah, but it's really true. A lot of the... A lot of the success that that has been created around the, the athletes that I'm working with or the people in general that I'm working with is me being a co-pilot and the person that I'm working with onboarding and taking responsibility and, and really being the pilot of the plane that he or she would be steering. I think I've had a lot of success, not because of what I have done, but because I've been fortunate to, to motivate people to create a lot of change um, on their own. And sleep is multidisciplinary. And, and creating success with sleep in, in an athletic environment is not down to me. It's down to all the people in the environment. And if you really want to have success and measurable success outcome um, when sleep is implemented... It needs to be a part of the, the performance strategy DNA. A good example um, from one of the football clubs where I'm working is, you know, the kit man who, who's handing out shirts in the morning. If he is onboarded into, the, into the, the mindset about the importance of sleep, he will be the first one to actually see the players. And one of the places where I'm working, one of the kit men, he's like completely turned into my wingman because he comes in the morning and he's like hey Anna did you see that this guy the last couple of days when he came in he had bags under his eyes so maybe it's worth for you to have a conversation with him and and that is what sleep is sleep is a result of multiple factors and creating success is down to a lot of people for someone that's enacted so much positive change sleep recovery well-being in its entirety Last question from us for you, Anna, is what does high performance mean to you? It's a really good question, huh? Um, I think high performance um, means that you have a, a, a very good balance between your performance output and your, or, and your recovery ability in the sense that you can have a really, really high performance output for a while but if you don't have a balance in the other side sleep and recovery you will never be able to maintain that high performance ability so high performance for me means an overall ability to balance things that's brilliant 
Anwes, thank you very much. I'm really grateful for you giving the two of us your time and everyone listening. Wishing you the very best and, and looking forward to reading your research that's coming out. Looking forward to hearing more stories oh, about I hope the wonderful things you're doing in this place. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, call, we'll call you back in 22 years. Uh, yeah, that's that kind sounds, of how that sounds for us as physios, it usually takes time for us as well. Usually. Thanks a lot, Anna. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.